I told Kurt before we started this morning how thankful I was to have him standing right here leading worship with us, playing guitar this morning. So thank you, Kurt, for being here today, and we continue to pray for you that you continue to get well. Kurt has been uh, struggling over this last month, and we have been praying for him to get healthy. I can't wait till he is back up here leading us in worship, and so I'm thankful for you, my friend, and I'm thankful that you are here with us today. It's so fun to be able to play, to sing, to worship, and uh, when Kurt asked me if I would, would lead worship in his place, of course, I said, yes, I'd, I'm happy to do that, but it's always so fun to play with this band and, and be in worship together, especially today on Easter Sunday, singing these songs, celebrating the resurrection, worshiping together. And as we sing those songs, as we went through that, um, we don't pick these songs just because, hey, that's got a really nice melody. We don't pick the song because, you know, maybe um, it, it is real fast or something. Maybe we don't play the song because it's got really good drum parts or something like that. Now, of course, everybody up here does their jobs really, really well and brings that out of each and every song. But we pick the songs because they connect with what we're talking about. We pick the songs because thematically they connect us where we're going. We pick the songs because as we sing, sing them, what we say in them we believe is true. And so we sing those words back to God in worship. And we say, God, this is what we believe. This is what we know is true. This is what we believe about you and what you say about us. So when we sing God's love, we sing because we believe that God at his core is love and that God's love for us is revealed on the cross and is forever love. Isn't that beautiful? And so we sing those words together. When we sing that Jesus is king, we sing because we believe that he is king, that he is Lord. And not that he is just king over some kingdom, but he is king over the kingdom. And he is Lord of our lives. And we give our lives to him. And so as we sing, it's a way of expressing our worship that he is king and saying that all I have, everything I have, belongs to him. My life belongs to my king. And so I worship the king of kings and the Lord of lords. When I sing about God's grace, when I sing about his mercy, when we say those words together, it is because we believe at the essence of the story of Jesus is his grace and his mercy. When we sing about his justice, we sing because we believe that his justice will flow in this world and continues to flow in this world. In and through our lives, as we live out through the power of the Holy Spirit, his grace, his mercy, his love. We've talked about this over several weeks, and we've really made this a theme or a recently, really honestly, in the last half of a year that we've talked about, that our responsibility as followers of Jesus, if you claim Jesus today, if you follow Jesus, what you're doing is accepting the love and the grace and the mercy and the justice of your heavenly Father, and you're reflecting it back into your world, that through Christ you have this connection to God through the power of his Holy Spirit, leaving out his grace, his love, his mercy, and his justice in this world. Does this world need more grace? Yes. Does this world need more love? Yes. Does this world need more mercy? Yes. Does this world need more justice? Yes. 
Yes, it does. And that is why we come together as the church to be reminded that we are a community of grace and mercy and love and justice. And we share that love and grace and mercy and justice with this world reflected in the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit to share that with our world. That is good news. Is that good news? And did you hear me say in there, I said his life, his death, and what? His resurrection. And so today we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. In the song that we just sang, right? In the words that we just read, we're invited to believe. We are invited to believe in this thing that we call resurrection, which is the unbelievable, most unbelievable of stories, right? That three days after Jesus died on the cross and was buried, that he rose again to new life. Now, let me just say that again, because I think sometimes we come into church, we come into Easter. You know, I grew up in church, right? And so I kind of know this story pretty well. I got up this morning, I looked out at the sunrise, actually I had to step outside because I was getting a little anxiety, I was getting a little anxious this morning, I was getting a little excited, and it was hot inside. I looked at Jill and I was like, is it hot in here? She's like, no, you're just sweating uncontrollably. Why don't you go walk outside? So I opened the door, I walked outside, and the sun was just beautiful. I started thinking about the sunrise services. I started thinking about singing some of those songs. Started thinking about the resurrection. I went in and picked up my phone, and like I told you, my father-in-law, like he always does every single year, wrote to me, he has risen. And if I don't respond, he has risen indeed. He is going to bother me all day. So at 6.30, I better respond to him right away. So I responded to him. He is risen indeed. But the question is, he is risen indeed? He is risen I mean, he is risen from the dead. The three days after coming off of a cross and being placed behind some rocks in a tomb, we believe that a stone was rolled away. We believe this unbelievable story that Jesus was resurrected. That is what we're asking today. That is what we're called to believe, the unbelievable stories. We're invited to believe his story didn't end at the grave. And that when Jesus came from the grave when, he, when they rolled the stone away that he had conquered death. And he li- was living out the words, I am the resurrection and the life. It sets the stage for words that we'll later read in the scriptures. In Revelation 1, it says, I am the living one. I was dead. And now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Again, an unbelievable story, not, not, just, not just that Jesus died and was placed behind some rocks and when they were rolled away that he rose to new life and then died again. That's not the story. The story is that he was raised, that he was resurrected and lives forevermore. It is not that he was alive, it is that Jesus is alive. And that is significant, isn't it? Not that he was alive, but that he today is alive. You say, Ryan, that's an unbelievable story. It is. It is an unbelievable story. And to some, the resurrection is nonsense. People don't rise from the dead. 
Was this just an ancient belief? A story fabricated by the followers of Jesus, hopeless in search of meaning in his death? Was it perhaps a way to further punish people who were mourning? Here's a question. Was it true? Is it possible that the resurrection not only happened, but that it is the single most pivotal moment in history and of all time? To believe the unbelievable is a choice of faith, right? To, to believe the unbelievable is a choice of faith. Nobody here is telling you, nobody's going to peer pressure you, nobody's going to tell you you have to believe in the unbelievable. This is a place where we get to explore the way of Jesus, where we get to ask these hard questions. But today, I'm going to invite you to believe the unbelievable. To not simply believe in the resurrection of Jesus as something that happened, but I want you to believe in it as something that continues to happen today. So let's read the story. John chapter 20 starts in verse 1. I better take a drink because I'm going to preach today. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and this other disciple, started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter. Guys, can I just stop? Because this is one of my favorite stories. Because I, I, I just, there's so much narcissism happening here with the author of the book of John. <laughs> to say, listen, the other disciple is this guy named John. And uh, Jesus really loved John. Peter's like reading this going, uh, wait a sec, uh, hold, what, hold on a minute. And then it says, and then not only what, did, he, did he love Jesus, not only did Jesus love John, but, but as Peter and John started to run, Peter apparently was not uh, a track star, but John clearly was. So he outruns Peter. He's, he's like, I'm going, man, I'm getting there. So they start for the tomb. Both are running. The other disciple outran Peter, reached the tomb first. He bent over. He looked in at the strips of linen lining there, but did not go in. I wouldn't go in either, guys. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lining there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. Saw and believed what? I, I think, to not get confusing here, in this telling of the story, the disciples who ran to the tomb that morning, I, I think, believed what Mary believed. They've taken his body. I, I think they believed that Jesus' body was stolen by somebody. I, I think he looked in and believed and he went, 
oh, they did. He, he's gone. So was this a cruel joke, a prank, a further way to mock the people? The author tells us of their misplaced belief. Listen, it just goes on. And it puts us in parentheses in our English translations to help us see this. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. So he puts this parenthetical citation in here because this is written much later after the death and resurrection of Jesus. This is written as people begin to gather and explore the way of Jesus. And so they're reading this story and parenthetically, this person is reading this to their community, just like I'm preaching it today, comes to this part and says, just a second, Um, they didn't believe yet because they didn't know yet. Because just as a reminder, this is sort of adding on the cue a little bit here, just as a reminder, people don't rise from the dead. Peter and John, you see, weren't sitting there waiting going, all right, guys, it's Easter morning. Get the countdown ready. Eight, seven, six, here comes the stone. Like, you know, this is not, that's not what they're doing. They weren't waiting. They were scared out of their wits. They were, they were in a room afraid that they were also going to be crucified and die because they followed Jesus because following Jesus was and should be a little bit of a scary thing to do because it changes everything. So they're hiding away. Mary goes down because his body hadn't been properly prepared for burial. It was a rush job. She's going to go correct it because the guys had done it. And she says, let a woman do the job. I got, I got to take this care of this. I got it handled. She goes down to the tomb. She gets there. What they do? They took him. She runs back to these guys. They're sitting in this room all scared. They take his body and they're like, no way. They run, right? And they take off. They, can't, they, won't, they don't listen to her. They should probably listen. They go down, they get to the tomb, they look inside and they go, he's not here, she's right. Of course she's right. She told them. Again, they don't listen. But they don't understand. They hadn't been fully informed about the resurrection. So the story continues. And then Mary alone encounters the unbelievable. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. I imagine shaking their heads. Doesn't make any sense. What should we do? Well, we can't go to the authorities. We can't. We're not, I'm not going to go. Are you going to go look for him? I'm not going to go look for him. Well, let's go hide again. Leave Mary by herself. She'll be fine. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away. I don't know where they've put him. So she continues to believe that somebody stole him. Somebody took his body. They're hiding it. Why would they do that? Mary reiterated here the belief of the disciples who are already walked away. And think about this. She had lost Jesus once to death. And now she had lost him again. I want you to think. I want you to fathom. I want you to imagine the sense of her mourning, her sadness. What would it feel like to watch Remember, Mary was very close to Jesus, one of his best friends, followers. She believed that he was the Savior of the world. She watched him die on a cross, lost Jesus one time. All she wants to do is come to the grave and mourn. And this cruel, cruel joke 
They've taken him away. They've hidden him. Can you imagine the sense of grief and anger and sadness in her heart? She couldn't even mourn in peace as she thought through all the possibilities of what could have happened to his body. And what she didn't expect was that the most unbelievable thing had taken place. That his buried body was no longer dead and buried. He had been raised from the dead. It continues on, we read in in verse 14. At this, she turned around. So she says, they have taken my Lord. I don't know where they put him. She, can you imagine the grief? Can you, can you feel it as she turns around and she's just, she's going to walk away? The other disciples are probably maybe up a hill, far, you know, kind of moving along. They're going back and she just says, forget it. Forget it. She turns around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize that it was Jesus So he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you had carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. There's a couple things about this that we should probably ask some questions. The gardener. What's our gardener doing in a graveyard? Because it was a garden. This is a place where new life is meant to spring up. This is where death and new life meet. It's not the same as how we look at things. This is a different situation happening here. There's already all sorts of stuff taking place under the surface. That God works in graves and in gardens. And the new life is springing right up in that place. We also see this thing that's so perplexing, but it actually brings out even more hope to us as we read the story. Listen, listen. She, she looked at Jesus, right? We caught this. She thinks he's the gardener. She didn't recognize him. And this is what's so beautiful about this. And this is what I want us to, to, to key in on because I think this is important for us to understand. She didn't recognize him because his body was glorified. Okay, Jesus wasn't simply revived. He, he wasn't simply resuscitated. There's a song that's popular that we sing that talks about that his buried body began to breathe again. And sometimes I have a little bit of an issue with the lyrics of that song because I think it misunderstands what happened to Jesus. What happened to Jesus isn't the same thing that happened to Lazarus. He wasn't resuscitated. He wasn't just, again, walking in the same body. Jesus was glorified into a glorified body. He was resurrected. And this kind of resurrection is transforming as the glory of God is perfectly revealed through him. What God does through Jesus is new. It's transformational. It's unbelievable. It had never been done before. He was resurrected to glorified life, which means he can live forevermore. And that is the hope of the resurrection. That is the hope as we sung that song and we talk about that I pray for the resurrection. I hope for the resurrection of Jesus when we will rise again because the promise is that we will rise into glorified life with him. Not in broken down, beat up bodies. 
but glorified fully in the glory of heaven. Whew. I don't, that's hopeful. Isn't that hopeful? That's hopeful. Let's find out what that has to do with today, though. That's great. Like, that's something far off, right? What's that have to do with today? Let's go on. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned to her and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. She recognized him in that moment when he spoke. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go and said to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Now, don't miss this. Mary is the first one to preach the good news that Jesus is alive. And from that day on, nothing would ever be the same. The most pivotal moment in history had taken place. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Listen to this verse. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. There's a picture here of the poem that we read in Genesis that tells us of this creation story. That this reminder that God breathes life into things. He breathes life. And Jesus here breathes life. He breathes the Holy Spirit. He says, receive the Holy Spirit. And at that moment, Jesus' disciples began to live these transformed, resurrected lives. The glory of Jesus revealed in their lives as they began through the, again, look here, through the power of the Holy Spirit to live out the way of Jesus. Again, not fully glorified yet, right? They haven't died. They haven't been resurrected. They haven't experienced that glory of being glorified into the glory of God. How many glories can I say there? That hasn't happened yet, but it begins to live out of them. The reality of the resurrection, the power of the resurrection, the release of the Holy Spirit begins to live out of their lives. The glory of God begins to be revealed. They begin to have glimpses. The full experience of resurrection glory, transformed like Jesus, would still one day take place. But the glimpse of that day had now become present as the living Christ continued to breathe new life into them. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that incredible? See, the promise here is this, that as followers of Jesus, we're invited to believe the unbelievable and not just 
that Jesus was resurrected to glorious life. That's pretty great. That's amazing. But we're invited to believe that because of that, he continues to breathe new life into our lives. That through him, the resurrected glory of Jesus begins to live in and through us through the power of the Holy Spirit, revealing his grace, his mercy, his love, and justice in this world. Because the glimpses of what is to come become the glimpses that are lived out in and through us, through Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, because of the resurrection of Jesus. So today, I invite you today to believe the unbelievable. I invite you to believe that the most pivotal act in history took place when the stone was rolled away and Jesus was raised to new life. But I also invite you to believe it because when you believe the unbelievable, when you accept Jesus as Lord and Messiah, allow him to breathe the Holy Spirit upon you, you will also be forever changed. Through Jesus, the risen Christ, you will experience new life now and forevermore. So I invite you to believe the unbelievable today. Later on, a man named Paul who followed Jesus would write these words about this. In Romans 6, this letter to these followers of Jesus gathered in this church in Rome, he says this, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Should we go on living like there is no grace and love and mercy and peace and justice? Should we just go on living like everybody else? Should I just focus on myself? Should I just focus on what I want, my desires? Should I act like there is no God, that there is no king of my life? Should I not live like he wants me to live out grace and mercy and love and justice in this world? Should I just go on sinning? Should, should I just ignore it? What Paul is saying, is there need for grace in this world? What's the answer? Is there need for mercy in this world? Is there need for justice in this world? Is there need for love in this world? Paul says, should I go on ignoring that reality? He says, no, no, don't do that. That's sin. That's the breaking of the peace of God. Don't do that. He says, instead, do this. By no means, we are those who have died to that. I've died to my selfishness. I've died to my greed. I've, I've died to my, my judgment. of. I've died to all those things. I don't need that anymore in my life. How can I live like that any longer? Don't you know that all of us were baptized into Christ Jesus? We're baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. In order that, listen to this, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Paul says, just, just like him, you were buried into his death and all that junk, all that sin, all that stuff, it's gone. Because just as Christ was raised from the dead. <laughs> Can you imagine writing this? He believes the unbelievable. 
Like Paul is like, Paul's writing this, man, he believes the unbelievable just like Christ. Can you imagine saying that the first time? Can you imagine saying that out loud? Just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. What's more unbelievable? It's more unbelievable. That, that, that we have new life that comes into our lives? What's more unbelievable that Jesus was raised from the dead? What's more unbelievable that we actually have hope that this world can change and that love and mercy and justice and goodness can come in this world? That's why I believe in the resurrection. That's why I believe in the hope of Jesus because I believe that God has called us to follow him, to follow Jesus into goodness and love and mercy and grace. And then he has called us into a community to live this out. We don't always get it right. We only get glimpses of the glory of heaven. But man, I want to be a part of where God is working. I want to be a part of where his grace and his mercy and his justice is showing up. I want to be in a place where people can look at me and say, nope, you missed it. You're living your dead life. Come on, Ryan, let's live in new life together. I want to live in that kind of place, in that kind of community, because I believe this world can change, because I believe in the resurrection of Jesus. That's what I believe. And I believe that Jesus has resurrected my life. And I believe that he has resurrected your life. I believe that someday I will see my dad, and I will see my friend Suzanne, and we will sing glory in heaven. And I believe that today they're singing that right now. And I believe that they're saying, hey, live it out. Live out the way of Jesus. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful for the resurrection story. God, that you make us new. in the mystery of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. That you do the unbelievable. God, help us today to worship, to believe, and to live out the resurrection of Jesus.